lots of things are different than they were at the beginning of the year. Um, one of the things at my house, after we did some bread break, bread baking and things at the beginning of the pandemic, like some other people did, um, Kathy moved on to what I'm going to call collecting plants. Um, so we went from a household with zero plants to, at my last count this week, we were at 40. Um, and so some of these are big in pots and some of them are little in jars that are just cuttings that will eventually turn into other plants. And so um, we have plants kind of all over the place in our house right now. And one of the plants that we have, not this time, but we got a long time ago, is an orange tree in our backyard. So we really only get oranges about half the time because something happens. Usually we, there's that last freeze that you're not expecting and it comes from out of nowhere. And if you hit that last freeze, then the orange tree just dies and it has to start all over. And so when it's starting over, you don't get oranges that year. You have to wait till the next year. Um, but it's hard kind of to keep those growing. Sometimes we get the, you can see the flowers and you can see the tiny little green things that are gonna be oranges. And then the squirrels come and eat them all, or birds, we're not sure which one, but then they just like all disappear overnight. Um, or sometimes it's the weather. Um, this year, we, when I counted at the beginning, we had over a hundred tiny little oranges on our tree. Um, we're gonna end up with way less than that. Um, they're turning orange right now. Um, but it was a good year for us. So this morning, the reason we're talking about that is this morning we're talking about bearing fruit and the parable of the sower, which is kind of in line with all of those things. So we're talking about how to bear fruit. What are the obstacles and how can we overcome them? Because I really don't think anybody's saying, and if you are, that's fine, but I don't think anybody as a Christian is saying, you know what, I want to be a Christian, but, but only halfway. I only want to do it half-heartedly. So you may find yourself saying, well, I am kind of doing it half-heartedly, but I don't think that's where anybody actually wants to be. So I think for most of us, we usually think, I should be doing better, or there's a desire within us to say, I, I want to do better as a believer. And if you aren't a believer, you may be here and you may be listening and saying, there has to be something better out there. Right? I've done everything I can try to make me happy that I thought would be fulfilling, and they all either they don't last or it's just not fulfilling. They're all empty. And so what Mark is going to show us through a very familiar parable to most of you is how we can have something better and how we can be more fruitful as believers. And so we're going to be going through uh, the parable of the sower in Mark um, chapter 4. So if you want to turn there. Um, you can. It's page 890 in the Pew Bible that's in front of you. Um, if you're a smartphone user, you can use the YouVersion Bible app and find Brentwood Bible Church, and it'll pop up right there for you. We're going to kind of read it all together um, and go along and talk about it as we go. So verse 1 says this, And again he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down, while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. And he taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them. Now you might remember from Mike Kaiser last week, this is a very similar situation to what we saw last week. Jesus getting into a boat, going out, and teaching in front of everybody. We talk about how Mark likes to repeat these things. So here we go. Then he teaches this parable. He says, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell among the path. And the birds came and devoured it. 
Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly, since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased thirty, sixty, and a hundred times. And then he said, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. So what we hear is, that we see is, notice again, Mark, this is like a mini sandwich. We talked about Mark sandwiching things with stories, but here you see listen at the beginning, and you see listen at the end. So he brackets this one story and says, He who has ears to hear, listen. And so you're probably used to this saying, some, your verse translation probably says something more like this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right, is probably what you're used to hearing, which sounds kind of passive. But what he really is saying is more like, he who has ears to hear had better listen. Right, it's like when I say, hey, if you only hear one thing today, this is the thing you need to hear. Or when you're talking to your kids and you say, okay, look at me and give me your full attention right now to hear what I'm saying, right? That's what he's talking about. He's saying, you better listen. And then he talks about um, kind of what he's doing in verses 10 and 11. He says, when he was alone and those around, with those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables and he answers them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but not to those outside. Everything comes in parables. So for us, when we hear the word secret, right, we think like it's something hidden, it's something private, it's something enigmatic, it's something exclusive that only a few people have access to. But for the time, secret meant something that was proclaimed or fully known, but not fully understood. So Jesus isn't saying the way to the kingdom is hidden or exclusive or impossible to decipher or decode. He was saying, I'm giving people all they need to understand, but some of them aren't getting it. So, to, and then again, we see, right, but those to the outside, everything comes in parables. It's the insider-outsider language that Mike did a very good job explaining last week. And so he's kind of in, in continuing to do that. So he teaches in parables. A parable is essentially a picture that gets us interested and helps us see something. And then we begin to think about that parable and apply it to us. And it becomes two things. One, it becomes a mirror where we kind of see ourselves reflected in the story. So most of the parables you read through it and you say, oh, I'm in this parable. And this is the person or character or thing that I am in this parable. But it's also a window to see more of God's truth. And so a parable helps us see more of ourselves and to see God more clearly. And then he goes on to explain, hey, this is why I'm using parables. We see that in verse 12. He says, so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive, that they may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. So this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 6. And if you remember or know kind of the, the timeline of Isaiah, this is actually the chapter of the call of Isaiah. So God is kind of talking, and Isaiah kind of responds, and Isaiah says, you know, I'm unclean. And so he takes the coal and he cleanses Isaiah. And then God says, I need to send someone to proclaim my word to the nations. And he's like, who shall I send? And Isaiah says, send me. 
And then right after that, these are the words that God gives Isaiah to say. And the point was, right, only those who are willing to listen will understand what I'm saying. So what we see here is that the parable serves as two things, a confirmation and a curiosity. So when they listen to the parable, when they hear it, it's going to confirm where you are. Either you are open to faith and belief in the Messiah and the coming kingdom, or you weren't. For those who are open, the Holy Spirit would help them understand, connect the dots, clearly in order to gain a deeper understanding of the kingdom of God and what Jesus came to do. But for those who are closed-minded, for those who are against Christ, which we've already seen, right, of the religious leaders plotting to kill him already this early in Mark, they had no interest in trying to understand it. So the parable seems pointless to them because they have no desire to understand and they've rejected Jesus' message. But it also opens the door for the curious. So even though it may seem like it confirmed or kind of kept people in these boxes where they were, it also opened the door for future understanding. So as somebody thought about and reflected on the parable, there was enough there to move someone to want to, to desire to understand who Jesus was. It's like when you hear something and you're like, I don't really understand that. And then like sometimes weeks later or months later or years later, somebody gives you a piece of information and all of a sudden you go, oh, now I get it. It all makes sense now. That's kind of what he's doing with the parable. You're like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Somebody says this one random thing and then all of a sudden the light bulb comes on. Right? That's kind of what he's doing with the parable, is those who are curious, it opens the door for the light bulb to come on later. So then when he's talking to them, this is what we see in verse 13. He says, then he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Basically saying, look, this is an easy one. So if you can't understand this one, then we're going to have trouble with the other ones. And I think alongside that, because of the story we just saw about insiders and outsiders and who's part of Jesus' community, he's really asking, are you guys insiders or are you outsiders? And if you're insiders, you should be able to understand this. So let's see. So Jesus then goes on to explain the parable to them. But before we jump into the explanation of the parable, um, I just want to give some introductory things. Some of these you may have heard before, but I think it's important for us just to be on the same page before we get there. Um, when we talk about the parable of the sower sowing the word, um, I think this can apply to the initial receiving of the word at salvation. So when you become a Christian and receive the word and you become saved. But I also think it applies to any time that God's word comes to us. So even after you're a believer, when God speaks to you or you read his word or someone else actually teaches you, I think all of those situations also apply. And historically, when we read this parable, and I've definitely taught it this way several times, we think, or we're saying, like, which soil are you? And you evaluate, and you think, this is where I am. I'm one of these soils, and I'm this soil, or I'm that soil, or whatever. But this week, I'm taking a different approach. Um, because I had one of those light bulb moments while I was reading this. This is actually a progression. See, the first seed never germinates and it never gets started. The second sprouts, but has no roots, and so it dies. The third grows, but it's choked out and is unfruitful, and the fourth bears fruit. So in order to make it to being fruitful, 
you have to work your way through the other three. And so I think at any time we can actually, if we're in the fourth, where the fourth soil is bearing fruit, we can actually fall back into the other ones or even start the process over. So while, yes, today we can evaluate and say, hey, what soil am I, where am I at? I also want us to think like gardeners as we hear this story. Right? What work do I need to do to make sure that I am growing, that I am going to be fruitful, that I am going to be spiritually healthy? Right? Because gardening, it's hard work. You've got to work on it. You've got to pay attention. You've got to pull weeds and all those things. And we'll see those as we come through. So as we go through, we'll look at each one. We'll talk about what it is and what it might look like. And then we'll talk about how we can overcome it. So that was maybe one of the longest introductions I've ever given, but now we're going to jump in, and if you're following along in the bulletin, we're going to get to the points that are there um, right now. So here we go. First, we have the hard heart in verse 14. It says, the sower sows the word, and some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. So we see the soil is hard. Think about a field with a walking path around it. And people are walking on the same path over and over and over for years and years and years. And eventually, even if it's dirt, that path becomes almost like concrete. Right? No seed that lies on that is going to be able to break through. None of it is going to be able to actually grow or penetrate. This is the hard heart. A heart that is not open, that's not receptive to the word at all. Right? Even if word, God's word happens to hit them, Right? They change to the wrong radio station in their car and they hear a verse being read on a Christian radio station or somebody says something or they run across the commercial or something on TV or something like that. It just bounces off. Right? That's a simple explanation. Um, but I think um, we also need to keep in mind that as believers or even as non-believers in the midst of this, which it kind of explains, there is also an enemy who is trying to prevent you from hearing, understanding, and acting on God's word. And so what would a hard heart look like? I think if you have a hard heart, you would say some things that would, might sound like this. I already know it's not true. Or I already know the word, so I don't need to listen to it again. If it's coming from a Christian, then I don't care or I won't believe it. If they supported that candidate, then there's no way I'm going to listen to anything they have to say. I just don't want to hear it right now. Right? In each of these, the word comes, it bounces off, and it isn't received. It's rejected almost before you hear it. So this could be a non-believer or even a Christian who says, if it's coming from that source, I'm out. I don't care what they say because they did this thing. So those would be things in our life that we might say, maybe I have a hard heart in this area or towards these people. And I'm not telling you that you should listen to everything that everybody says. I'm just saying we need to be open to God's word, however it comes to us. And so how do we overcome a hard heart? Well, the, the easy answer is, be open to the word. Be open to God's word. Be open for God to speak to you, even at the most inopportune time. Um, part of my story is um, from when I was about 12 years old is when I started playing basketball. 
Um, and I played basketball from 12 all the way into college. It was my lifelong, well, not lifelong because it always started at 12, but you get the idea, um, was to play college basketball. So I did actually go to Washington Baptist to play basketball. Um, I redshirt my first year, which essentially means you get to get up early and do all the practices and do all the things that everybody else does, but you don't get to put on a uniform or play in any of the games. So it's super fun. <coughs> so the summer after my freshman year in college, I was on the cusp, on the verge of being like actually able to put on the uniform and suit up for a game. Um, and we're at this conference and um, I, I hear this, this voice and this, is, this has only happened to me twice in my life. Um, but I, I instantly recognize this is God's voice, and I also know that I'm in a concert, and it's louder than the concert. So if you hear people say, I heard the audible voice of God, I'm in that category, um, I would say. So what he says is, it's time to stop playing basketball. And I said, uh, what? I don't think so, because this is my dream. I'm on the cusp. I'm almost there. God is basically saying, like, over and over, no, I've got something else for you. I've got something else for you. So I, it wasn't great. In that moment, I definitely had a hard heart. I was trying to reject the message and saying, well, there's got to be a way around this or another way to do it or something else. Right? But that's an inopportune moment for me to hear the voice of God, for God's word to come to me. So what I'm saying is, even if it's not the right time for you, or it's something you may not want to hear, if it's God's voice, we have to be open to listen. Because I obeyed that, I am now here. And I'm not sure I would be if I hadn't. So um, hopefully that's good news and a good thing for all of us involved. Um, but it was very different. God, I did stop playing. Um, I was rewarded along the way by being able to go on mission trips playing basketball um, and to be able to go to South Africa and um, did some cool things playing against like the Angola national team when they were preparing for the Olympics. So God definitely gave me some positive things along the way because I did that. But in the moment, I didn't want to hear it. So sometimes God's word comes at an inopportune time where it's not what we want, but we need to be open. And for a hard heart, the goal isn't actually necessarily to act on what you hear, or even to believe it. The goal of overcoming a hard heart is just to be open to it, just to listen to it, just to consider it. So if you aren't a believer and you're listening to this, just be open to the gospel, the message of salvation that we are teaching or at least just give it a chance. And if you are a believer, don't tune people out. Don't casually read the word. Engage with it. Listen. Pray through it. Reflect on it so that we can have open hearts to hear the word. And next we have the shallow heart in verse 16. It says, And others are like seed sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no root, they are short-lived, and when distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. This soil is shallow. There's no depth, there's no room to grow and flourish. So they'll grow really fast, but their roots, their foundation, can't support the growth and they wither away. When the sun comes out and it gets hot, when hard times and persecution fall up, they fall away. So what would a shallow heart look like? 
A lot of times when we think about this, when we think of, a, especially if you're a mature believer, and you think about somebody who gets saved and they're super excited about it, and they're going to tell all their friends and everything's great, and then six months, they're going exactly back to where they were before they became a Christian, living their old way of life. But I think this applies to more than that, and I think it would apply to a believer who says, I'm going to do better starting next week. I'm going to get up early and pray. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'll share the gospel. And we're excited about it. And we try, but it fades as quickly as it starts. Right? Sometimes even overnight, I've definitely done this. Tomorrow, I'm going to get up early. And I'm going to pray before I do anything else. And then the alarm goes off. And I go, nope, not today. I need that 20 minutes of sleep. Right? So we get excited, but then... It immediately disappears, or we get busy. I meant to do that, I meant to read my Bible, I meant to pray, I meant to call this person, but I just got busy. So we convince ourselves sometimes that holding fast to the word is not worth the trouble. And so how do we overcome a shallow heart? Well, we grow roots to endure. Being excited and having joy at your salvation or a renewed sense of commitment to God's call on his plan and purpose for your life is a great thing. But if it's only built on feelings, it's going to fade very quickly. And so we need to set a solid foundation to grow deep roots. And the Bible actually talks about this often. And the most common image of what this looks like is you will be like a tree planted by streams of water. The most memorable place where he says this is in Psalm chapter 1. So in Psalm chapter 1, what does he say will give you deep roots? He says to delight in the law of the Lord, which for us is mainly the scripture, right? We would read the scripture, we would read the word of God, and we would delight in it. We would be excited to read it, to hear it, to see what it says, even if we've heard it over and over and over again for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. He tells them to meditate on the word, right? To read the word again and again, to turn it over in your mind, to think about what the words mean. And when you read through a verse, to emphasize a different word when you read it. So that it gives you new meaning and new understanding of what it means. And so let the truth of the word give you endurance. Right, over persecution, over hard times, because those things are going to happen. It's almost a guarantee. So when they come, we need roots. We need to understand that we're not in this on our own, that God is with us, that he strengthens us, that he empowers us, that he helps us through those times. It's not up to me and my emotions or my own will or my own desire or my ability to get up when my alarm goes off. Right? God helps me in those times. He will strengthen me. He will give me roots as I am connected to him. Next we see the crowded heart in verses 18. It says, others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So the seeds, the seed grows, and I think it's doing well because I noticed something also this time when I read this. At the end it says, it becomes unfruitful, which when I read that makes me think at one point it was fruitful. 
but it becomes unfruitful. And there are three things that we see that act like thorns and weeds that grow up around it, and they take the necessary things for growth away. And so we're going to talk about those things. And what does a crowded heart look like? Right? He talks about the worries of this age or the worries of life. And we talk about this kind of a lot here. These are probably not bad things. It's just the worries, the things that you have to do in life, right? When you're married, you should pay attention to your spouse. That's not a bad thing, but it takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. If you have kids, it takes like 27 times the energy that it takes just to be married to somebody. And then if you have multiple kids, it seems like it multiplies by 100, not just by one or two when you get multiple. Or your family. Sometimes you're worried about what's going on in your family and the relationships and how that's all going to work together. Are you worried about your house and upkeeping it? Or when is the air conditioner going to break? Or when is this repair going to be used? And how do I afford it? Or your job and keeping that and doing well and getting promotions. Or friends or bills or health. Right? None of those are necessarily bad things. But I think all of those things at some point probably cause us to worry. And to spend time on them and trying to figure out how we can do better in those areas. And so sometimes those become so big that it crowds out our relationship with God and it sets up all of our time. The second thing we see from him is the deceitfulness of wealth. Right? That we believe, hey, if I just have this much money, then I'll be happy. If I can just get to where I can pay all my bills, then I'll be happy. If I can just save a little bit more, I'll be happy. If I can just have this much in my retirement account, I'll be happy. If I can just buy this, if I can just have that, then I'll be happy. And so we try to keep up and we do things we wouldn't normally do or we take on debt. And all of those things are lying to us. When we get those things, we're not any happier than we were before. It just isn't. I mean, I think we all know that fundamentally, but we just sometimes keep trying it. Um, just to think, well, this time it's going to be different. This time it's going to be better. Um, but there's, I think if you did some research, there's enough studies out there that for athletes and celebrities that when they get all that money, they're actually more miserable than they were before. And so money will lie to you. It will tell you it will make you happy, but it won't. And then he says the desires for other things. <laughs> right? That there's just something in our lives or something in our mind. And for me, Right, growing up, that could have been playing basketball. I had a desire to play that, and it could have overtaken my life and been more important than my relationship with Christ, which is sort of what I think God was doing when he says, hey, I've got something else for you. It's either saying, I am first, not basketball, not anything else. And these don't necessarily have to be bad things either. Sometimes they are. Sometimes there's addictions or struggles, and those things kind of control us, and so we need to overcome them. But I think along with this, we, we hear that, that lie, right? That, hey, you're sacrificing too many things. You're giving up too many things for this Jesus guy. Right? You should just be able to do what you want. You should be able to do that thing. And it's okay. It's a good thing. It's going to make you happy. So I think sometimes we fall into that. So how do we overcome a crowded heart? First, I think we stay pure and we stand firm. We battle against it. Right? We evaluate where we're at and what we're doing. We fix our eyes on Jesus, on the cross and what he's done for us, and we don't get distracted. The image that the Bible gives us right, with the verse about fixing our eyes is like a horse with blinders. 
Right? We can't see anything else to distract us, to make us crazy, to make us afraid, to make us worry. We only focus on Christ and we follow him. We also need to keep things in perspective of understanding what's important. And I think we need to evaluate that often. Because for many of us, what was important in January is not what's important in November because things have changed drastically in those months. So if you're still kind of doing and have the same priorities in January, that might be fine, but you might need to make some adjustments based on our situation. So I think the question that we can ask in this is, is my energy and effort in line with what is important? Am I giving my energy and effort and attention to something that is important or that isn't as important? And where does my energy and effort towards seeking Christ fall in that scale? And I also think we need to realize that the world is telling us lies over and over and over and over again. The people that run ad companies at the major companies, they're really, really smart. And they understand psychology and they understand things that we probably don't even understand about ourselves. And so when they make those ads, they know exactly what they're doing and they're lying to you. We have social media that's, I don't even know what to say about it. I'm just gonna say there's also social media and I think there's a lot of lies happening in there, right? About sharing information that may not be true, but also people presenting false-ish fronts to what their lives actually look like, right? Because, I mean, some of you said something to me this morning. We had a sort of a good day this week. I got a huge TV because Black Friday deals started early. Um, we got two puppies, and I got a new iPhone all on the same day, so um, it was a good day. And so if you look at that, you think, hey, everything was great, but it doesn't show us trying to mount the TV on the wall um, and make sure all the screws fit and all of those things, and how the puppies, we now have to quarantine them in one room because one has ringworm and the other one has kennel cough. Um, we have to be able to disinfect everything, and then they use the bathroom all over the place, and they wake up at 3 in the morning, so right, you don't usually post the, that part of the story on social media. Right, so everything looks great, but then you're like, there's a whole bunch behind that that people don't realize. So the world is telling us that everything is great when it's not. So all of these things will not last and they will not satisfy. And I think at some level we know that, but we just keep going back and thinking it'll be different this time. It'll be fulfilling this time. It'll be better this time. At last, we get to the welcoming part. In verse 20, and those like seed sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundred, and a hundred times what was sown. So this is the soil, the person who hears and receives the word. They let it in. They're open to it. It says really three things, right? We hear the word, we welcome it, and we produce fruit. So we hear it, we let it in, but we welcome it. Right? How do you welcome the word? How do we welcome the word into our lives? And I think if we think a lot about how we would welcome a visitor into our home, many of the same things would apply. Right? First, you have to be prepared. 
somebody is showing up and you know they're coming, you're going to prepare something. Usually you cook something. Um, most of us like clean our houses madly 20 minutes before they show up so they look somewhat like it's not chaos. Right, so we prepare for that. I think for us, and I'm, I'm kind of giving you some tools, I forgot to bring one with me. Yeah, do you have a bulletin? A bulletin? Yes. Um, no, I've got the schedule. I don't have a bulletin. If somebody can bring me a bulletin, that would be awesome. Thank you, Jimmy. It's not a race. We, that's fine. So, thank you. I meant to bring one, but I forgot it. And now that I look at my... I had one. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate it. Um, so, one of the ways is to prepare. So, that's one of the things we do. If you look on the back of your bulletin, we're going to talk about this a little bit today. In this missional practices box where it says read at the bottom, we always print the scripture for next week's sermon right there. So, one of the ways that you can prepare your heart to hear the word on a Sunday morning is that you can read that on Saturday night or even Sunday morning as you're getting ready for church. You can kind of let it soak and marinate so that you're ready and open to hear what God is going to do. But when we hear the word, we prepare, we welcome it by receiving it, right? To letting it in, to turning it over in our mind. The, the Bible talks a lot about the word being implanted in us, that it becomes a part of us, that it grows in us just like this. And so we receive it. And then we're attentive when the word is being shared. We're attentive to scripture. I realize now that if you're you know, watching at home, you can't see this, but everybody now is reading the back of the bulletin instead of listening to me. So I shouldn't have gone that early. Um, we're gonna go through that, I promise. Um, and so um, be attentive and then just let the word work on you. Reflect on it, meditate in it, listen to it, read the same verse, same chapter for the whole week. But then, to also produce fruit. And I think it's important to understand kind of how this works is there's the soil and there's the seed and there's the fruit. We are the soil. Our job is to be ready, to be open and to stay clean and prepared for the word. The word comes on its own. The sower sows the word. The word grows within the soil. The soil does not make the word grow necessarily, right? The seed is what grows, not the soil. The fruit comes out of the seed. We only have to receive. The word is what grows in us with God's power. So all we have to do is be ready to receive and to battle against the things that are growing in our soil that might distract us. So as we kind of wrap all of this up, we talk about Mark as being the journey of discipleship. And this morning, what I think we've really seen is the process of discipleship, of how we become fruitful believers. Right, we put things in the bulletin. Now we're going to get the rest of those. Is the scripture for next week, which helps you to prepare. We also have changed what is the reflection part of this to a question. Um, that you can ask during the week or think about during the week to help you continue to think about what you have learned in the sermon. And then we've also added this week um, at the bottom half of the back of the bulletin a prayer guide. Um, because one of the things that we used to do a lot more of is praying together on Wednesday nights in other places and we're kind of missing that. So what we're going to do from now on is every week we will put a prayer guide in here and it will have prayers for different categories. 
So you can pray for all of these every day. You can pray for one of these each day. Uh, but essentially, we're going to pray for our members. We're going to pray for our church. And we're going to pray for other things. Um, this week, we're praying for our country because um, I don't think we can pray too much for our country right now. I just don't think that's possible. Um, we were actually joking about that ahead of time, about how long I should pray in my pastoral prayer for our country until everybody felt better. Um, and we thought at least 30 minutes would be a good thing. I didn't pray that long, but it's just kind of how it feels is we can't pray enough. Um, and also for our military because it's Veterans Day this week. So if you're not here this morning, um, we understand that. So we'll be sending the prayer guide out um, with our email that comes every Tuesday about our um, biblical theology class on Wednesday. So you'll get it by email. Um, if people aren't doing that, we will also mail them to people who aren't doing those, either of those things because of, for whatever reason. So we're going to make try to make sure that everybody gets one of these every week so we can still pray together um, in those ways. So that's ways that we can grow, ways that we can reflect, that we can receive the word and grow roots. So we need to be open to receive the word. We need to receive the word with joy and grow roots to endure. Right? When God's word comes to us, we should be excited because we're hearing from the creator of the universe. He's speaking to us, whether it's in the scripture or just speaking to us as we pray or through another person. And to be cautious to not be choked by the world. The world is going to try to get our attention. The worries of our daily life are going to buy for our attention and our energy and our effort and our thoughts. So we need to battle against that. And we need to bear fruits. When he talks about bearing fruits, what, what does that even mean? What is the fruit that we're looking for? Well, I think one of the things is the fruit of the Spirit. To be full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Right? If everybody acted within those, I think we'd be in a much, much better place. And it's as we receive the word and let it work on us that those things become more evident in our lives. But I also think there's fruit of what I'm calling kind of a spiritual family, right? Because our call is to make disciples. So if you're making disciples, there's essentially a spiritual family of, I shared the gospel with this person and God brought them to salvation and so now I'm walking with them. And then they share it with somebody else. And so you kind of have these generations, hopefully, of brothers and sisters or children in the faith because of what you have done. Because you have shared the gospel with them and you have trained them what it means to do that as well. So those are the things we're looking at as fruit. And so if you're not seeing a lot of those right now, I would say you may look and see what's happening. To see why you're not bearing fruit and use kind of what we talked about to see where you might need to adjust. Because here's what I know. Satan will battle against us, which we saw at the beginning. He will steal the word before we even have a chance to hear it. Distress and persecution will come just like the sun will come out. It's going to happen. Worldly desires and cares will show up. As long as we're living on this planet, those things are going to happen. And we need to be ready. We need to work against them to follow and focus on Christ in all things. You guys pray with me really quick. God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that you even show us how to be fruitful, how to be mature, how to be growing disciples. So I pray that this week you would help us to, to be focused, to yes, to have joy, but to have lasting joy that is built on you, on your strength, not our own emotions, our own desires, or our own will, but on yours. And that we may be able to receive the word, to grow deep roots, or to weed the soil and to pull out some weeds or some thorns that are growing up around us so that we can be healthy. God, and help us to be fruitful. Help us to see fruit in our own lives, to, for you to help us to grow, to be able to see those things, but also to give us opportunities to grow in others, to bear fruit through others of sharing the message of salvation, the message of hope, the message of you being the king so that they can experience what we have experienced through you. In your name I pray. Amen.